0: Our text this morning is 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. I told you Sunday before last, I wanted to try to preach three messages this month from this text. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Three messages, not because um, there's only three messages worth. We're just going to get as far as we can get today. But the reality is this, is, this is the whole story of the Bible. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. When Paul uses the word unspeakable, Paul is making up a word, like I told you last time. This is not a word that's down anywhere else. This is a created word by Paul. It's a word that's sort of like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. It's just a created word. But at the same time, it's not like that. It's not like that word because that word actually doesn't mean anything. Paul actually means something when he uses the word unspeakable. What he is saying here is that there really is, according to, according to Paul's, Paul's belief and Paul's understanding of Christ, there really is no word, no single word, or no paragraph of words that can fully grab the, the, the value and the worth of, of the gift of Jesus Christ and sum it up. So he just says, it's unspeakable. It's beyond words. That's something, isn't it? Jesus Christ is a gift to you beyond words. Now, last time we looked at why this gift is so unspeakable in terms of its historical reference. In other words this is Jesus Christ is the prime gift that God has given but Jesus Christ is not the first gift that God has given. We won't rehash that message but Jesus, God has not been stingy has he? God has not been stingy with humanity. From the very beginning and all through the centuries God has lavished humanity with gift After gift, after gift, after gift, and there is one common thing with all these gifts, and that is that every single one of the gifts has been hopelessly squandered. That's what Romans 1 says. Instead of being thankful, here it is, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Instead of unspeakable gratitude flowing, there is unspeakable demand for more. That's Genesis chapter 2, 3. Unspeakable complaint. Unspeakable rebellion. Unspeakable just not understanding what a gift. Things like the law and the covenants and the promises and the supernatural deliverances. And we could go on. And the air that we breathe and the food that we eat. And we could go on and on and on considering the, the gifts and how they all had been squandered. And this is not just a look back at history. This is a present reality for you and me. Gift after gift after gift. And do we tend to be eternally grateful or do we yearn for more or in a slightly different package or in a slightly different time? Well, we could go on and on with that, couldn't we? And so the unspeakable nature of the, of the, in the historical reference, the unspeakable thing is that God, after centuries and centuries and centuries of gifts being squandered, God gives the greatest gift in the person of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for God's mercy, God's commitment to His covenant, God's long-suffering nature, Yes, friends, God is holy, and what we are, what we are amazed by is just how long-suffering that God has been, even in terms of time. Well, today I want us to think about the unspeakable gift Himself, Jesus Christ. What is it about this gift of Jesus Christ, what is it about Him that is unspeakable? Well, let's turn back to the prophets. The prophets had hinted at this gift um, in many places, some of the most familiar ones are in Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9. I'm just going to read these briefly. Isaiah 7, verse 14, and then Isaiah 9. You can probably turn your Bibles to Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. You know where I'm going. But the prophets had hinted that an unspeakable gift would be uh, manifested in history. So in Isaiah 7, for example, verse 14. Just break into the context. We won't spend much time here. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which you you know means Jehovah with us, God with us, shall bear a son, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Turn to Isaiah 9. For unto us a, a child is born, unto us a son is given. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So imagine that you're a prophet and God is bringing these words to you. Imagine what you would do with this information. The Bible tells us what they did in 1 Peter 1. The Bible tells us that the prophets took this information and they inquired and they searched diligently. That just means they they racked their brain thinking, what in the world could this possibly mean? First of all, Isaiah seven: a virgin shall conceive. What does that look like? How does that happen? We've never seen that happen. Now, they didn't have all the modern science that we have to understand exactly how children are conceived, but they knew that children were conceived. A virgin shall conceive and bear his bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. God. What does that mean? God with us. And then they get a little bit more information Isaiah 9. Yes, this, this son will be given, um, but he's going to be called the mighty God. Now, this is, Isaiah was the prophet who came to the people to tell them this very important message. Remember Isaiah 6? When Isaiah is first commissioned to the work and he's, he's given this vision of the mighty God. But we sing this song, holy, 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 right? This is the holy, holy, the thrice holy God. And Isaiah crumbles. Literally, he says, I want to be disintegrated in the presence of this holy one. So the holiness, the the, the incomparableness of the mighty God is the theme of Isaiah's ministry. Saying, how can you, Israel, how can you ignore this mighty God? How can you rebel against this mighty God? Don't you understand? He is the holy, holy, holy God. Remember Isaiah 40? Why Isaiah's message is, look at how big he is. He holds the hills in a balance. He holds the waters in the palm of his hand. And you think he may have forgotten you? He's holy. He's huge. And then Isaiah 44 and Isaiah 45 and Isaiah 48. And the message is, don't you dare. It's pretty strong language. Don't you dare compare this God to anybody else. To anything that's been created. I am the Lord. That is my name. (laughs) You see God saying it with a little shake of his head. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to any other. I will not give my glory to anything else. Uh, Another place, Isaiah 43, I think it is. I am the Lord. That is my name. Beside me there is no Savior. So the prophets are going, wait a minute. A a son's going to be given. A child will be born. A son will be given. And we're going to call him the everlasting father and the, the, the prince of peace. And the increase of his government shall have no end. He's going to reign over all. What is this? What is this? The prophets were searching. And, and they understood this is something that's unspeakable. This is something that is beyond what we can grab. Beyond what we can understand. Beyond what we can even imagine. So then turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And what I want you to. See, as you listen to these f- very familiar words, I want you to understand, I want you to, to dig right now into the historicity of this. <laughs> what, what I mean by that is, is that just like this morning, either from the alarm clock or just from the sunlight coming in, you came out of sleep. And it was a new morning. And you got up. And you did whatever you do in the morning. You brush. I hope you brush your teeth. Nobody is for sure about that. Some of you, but you put on some clothes. You may have eaten some breakfast, and you went about your tasks. Maybe you had to prepare lunch for today, or maybe you have, maybe you had to iron some clothes. The the point is, you had a real morning this morning, just like other real mornings. So on a very real morning, on some day. A couple of thousand years ago, a girl woke up from sleep. This really happened. And she went about the task of the day. And as she was going about her day, in Luke chapter 1, verse 28, verse 26, this is in the sixth month, the sixth month after um, Elizabeth has conceived in a miraculous way. In this sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. This is, a, again, a real day in a real month. An angel named Gabriel. Understand that angels can penetrate dimensions that we only know of. They can take on the form of humanity, although they're not created humanity. And they can go outside of the limitations of humanity in a way that we can't, because we're limited by our humanity. We know it's there. We know there's a spirit world. but we can't go there. But this angel could, he has a name. His name is Gabriel. His mama didn't name him that. God named him that. And he was sent from God, and he obeyed God as angels do. He's a ministering spirit, sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin who was engaged to a man, spouse to a man whose name was Joseph. Joseph was of the house of David. That means, in other words, he—David was his great, 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 great grandfather. And the virgin's name was Mary. Okay, that's stunning, isn't it? It's behind the scenes. And the angel came in unto her. I'm saying he probably came into her house or wherever she was and starts talking. And he says, Hail, thou that are highly favored. <laughs> Nazareth, as, as you remember uh, later, it was that Thomas that said, um, can, not, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Uh, Nazareth was not Jerusalem. It's not Rome. It's, it's, it's not It's not even Memphis. Blue Mountain, maybe? (laughs) It's it's, it's an out-of-the-way place. There are no schools of higher education there. There are no prominent people there. And so she's hearing these words from this man she doesn't recognize, saying, thou art highly favored. And the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Uh, This is a young girl. Every woman wants to be you. What? Why? And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, (laughs) I didn't even brush my hair this morning. And they want to be me? And cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. What does this mean? And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. It's the same idea of grace. Mary is highly favored in that she was blessed to be able to bear the child that would be the Son of God. But the point is Mary is just a person. The the favor she receives is this grace like the favor we all receive. It's the same favor that Noah received when he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The same favor that Abram received when he was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, The same favor that you've received if God has called you to love His Son, Jesus Christ. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. Good, I'm going to have a baby. And bring forth a son, and thou shalt call His name Jesus. He shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Highest. And by the way, the Jews recognize that as being more than just, you know, again, this this is wild enough. uh, The child from Nazareth is the Son of the Highest. That doesn't make sense. But also the Jews recognize, we say the Son of the Highest. We make the Son of God and God, they're equal. The Jews understood Isaiah 44 and Isaiah 45 and Isaiah 48 and Isaiah 40. I'm not sure we always do, but the Jews understood that. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Friends, Mary understood the imprint of what is being said here. She understands this is, these are the words. These are the words we've been taught in in, in the synagogue. These are the words we've been taught in our homes. These are the words of the Messiah. These are Messiah words. These are the long-awaited words. These are the words we've been waiting for year after year after year after year after year year to hear. These are the words of Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing... This is not a sinner. That the whole line with Adam's been disrupted here in some way, right? It's not that that, that the man's a sinner and the woman's not a sinner. People get so crazy trying to figure out how this works. Friends, the point is the line with Adam has been interrupted in a miraculous way to where now a a child, a human, will come forth who will be without sin. This holy thing, because the Son, that the Spirit of God came upon Mary to bring forth this Son. And that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And so I just wanted you to hear the, histo- the hist- historical day that happened. Isn't that something? A real woman, really born, I mean really waking up in the morning, going about her task, met an angel who told her that she would bring forth a son by the Holy Ghost overshadowing her. And this Son would be the Son of the Highest. He would be called the Son of God. He would reign from the throne of David over His kingdom. It would be a forever kingdom. The end of this kingdom would never, ever end. So I want us to think for a little while this morning about this unspeakable gift. And just think about what the... That is Jesus, the person of Jesus. And think about what the writers of the New Testament thought about this gift. What did they see when they saw Jesus Christ? I'm going to look at two places, really. The first is the Gospel of John. What did John see when he saw Jesus? What is, who is this unspeakable gift? Who is this gift? This is good news, friends. This is really good news. An angel appeared to Mary with some really good news. You're going to bring forth a son. And the angel also appeared to Joseph saying, His name is going to be called Jesus. Jehovah saves. For He shall save His people from from their sins. And Isaiah 7 is going to come true as well. His name will be known as Emmanuel. Which means God has come to us. God with us. What did John understand? Well, We're looking at the first chapter of John just for a few minutes, but I want you to think about the whole of John's message and the whole of John's ministry. John's whole, uh, John was one of the ones who was blessed to be able to stand on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus Christ when Jesus had his glory unveiled for a short time. So John and Peter and James got to see the glory of Christ in in its unveiled array, if you will. And John loved that, um, but John also treasured. If you look at the just the, the the way John wrote, John also treasured the proximity they had with Christ. So John is this this son of thunder. He's bombastic and he's battling and he's fighting. But he's also, uh, he, well, I won't name any names, but he, he's also this tender. You ever seen these this really these boys usually who are just just pedal to the metal, running into walls. And then they'll just hug their mom and just, just love on her and kiss her and everything. That's John. That's John. So, so John is bombastic, but John says, I got to touch him. And, and John's always talking about the one whom Jesus loved. And John's the one who lays in the bosom of Christ. He said, just, just hold me, Jesus. Let me be close to you. And that's the thrust of John. John's message in 1 John 1, the first little bit, is that you got to hear this. We, we, we touched him and we we handled him and we heard him and we gazed upon him and the one that we were gazing upon, he calls him two things in that first verse, he goes we we gazed upon the word of life and then he calls him, this is I think the only place he's ever called this, he says he calls him that eternal life isn't that beautiful? We gazed upon the word of life. We touched the word of life. We heard the word of life. And we felt we were together with that eternal life. That's John's sort of thrust of, of, his, of, his, of, his, uh, of his observations of Jesus. And so it comes to bear here in the first chapter of the epistle of John, the gospel of John here. And let's just start reading in verse 1. In the beginning was the word... we're just going to blast through this but let's just stop for a moment here in the beginning was the word those who have long sat in darkness have seen a great light do you understand that every bit of light you have i just mean i just mean the understanding of how to how to tie your shoes. And, and, and how, to, how to eat three square meals a day. And how to iron your clothes. Or not, I don't care if you do or not. But, but, but every, just the understanding to know how to, how to, how to forgive. That might be a good idea. And how to, how to have compassion. Everything. Every bit of light that you have. And I don't just mean the delight to, to know how to do things. I also mean just the light to understand reality. And in every bit of light of of the supernatural and the being of, of God. And, and our our conception of, of who He is and what He's like. God is not obligated, hear that, to reveal Himself at all to humanity. But God's purpose in humanity, in creation, was that very thing. God's purpose in creation was to reveal, to show off His glory, not because He needed us, Friends, you need to understand the Bible declares it over and over and over again. It's everywhere in the Bible. But you need to understand the full satisfaction of God in Himself. God does not have any needs. God in Himself is not running in a deficit. God is not lonely God is not socially deprived. God is not shy. God is, read John 17, the glory and the love that we had together before there was creation in the Godhead. And yet God decides to reveal Himself. And God reveals Himself In creation in a way that leaves everyone without excuse to not fall down in worship of God. That's the thing that we understand. Psalm 19 is so important because it's so true. When the heavens are declaring the glory of God, the truth is there is no speech or language. Where the voice of the glory of God is not shouting from the heavens. And any... Study of nature, whether science, astronomy, biology, wherever you want to go. In any study of nature, it's screaming in every language. There's a God. and He's glorious. And He deserves all praise, devotion, obedience, and love. What a gift creation is. And if he had stopped there, that would be enough. But he hasn't stopped. And we're not going to go through all his revelations, but what he's saying, when he says Jesus is the Word of God, probably means a lot of things, but one of the primary things it means is this, Jesus is God's ultimate self-disclosure. God is ripping it open. (laughs) It is. God's holding nothing back. God is giving everything. You want to see me? You want to see my glory? You want to see my goodness? You want to see my perfections? Here's Jesus. What a gift. What a gift. Jesus is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. Now notice how John sees this. And the Word was with God. Let me read that again. The Word was with God. What's he saying? He's distinct. He's something other in some sense. The Word was with God. He's distinct. And then the Word was God. They all go together. He is the ultimate self-disclosure of God. He's distinct in the Godhead, in the Father, and yet He is and was God. Listen, listen. John 1 verses 1 through 2 demand this. The deeds of Jesus are the deeds of God or the rest of the book is blasphemous. You hear that? John 1, the first verse verses demand that. The deeds of Jesus are the deeds of God. Or else, the rest is blasphemous. Because what's going to happen is, Jesus is going to go into into the world, and He is going to forgive sin. What right does He have to do that? What right does He have to say, the Father forgives you? What right does He have to say, I and my Father are one? What right does He say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life? What right does He have to say, I am the resurrection and the life? It's all blasphemous if Jesus' deeds are not the deeds of God. The Bible is going to say that. Titus 2 verse 13 says that he's the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isaiah nine verse six says he's the mighty God. And we go on and on and on and on and on. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Let me just read that again. All things were made by Him. Well, do you really mean all things, or just all things in context? Is this the, you know how we do that? We're all we don't always do that, right? So he goes on to to clarify that all things were made by Him. But listen, he's going to clarify. And without Him was not anything made that was made. That's all of creation. Okay? It's angels. It's principality. It's powers. It's kingdoms. It's thrones. It's people. It's stuff. It's flowers and plants and birds and bees. and, And anything that's made. That's galaxies and universes, and metaverses, and I don't even know what to talk about. the stuff. It's all made by him. all things that are made. Let's move down. Now that's the glory of Jesus, right? That's the word who's with God, and he's with God, and he's before and he's, and he's distinct and he's the same, and all this stuff. And then it says this, this is the amazing thing, as if that weren't amazing enough. Verse 14. and the Word was, and the Word was made flesh. How do you do that? How do, how do you capture that which is eternal and beyond nature and transcends nature and is a spirit and is before all things and made all things and how do you take that and put it into a vessel that will die? I'm just, we're talking about leaving here and going to see to, to, to mourn over a vessel that was born 48 years ago and now is gone. The word was made flesh. This is the incarnation. This is the infleshing. This is God donning humanity, except for sin. Just I, you, know this, you know this to be true, but just drink that in for a moment. This is God donning humanity. This is God in fleshing. This is God taking on human flesh. And the Word was made flesh. Yes, real flesh, flesh and blood. The Word was born just like every other child's ever been born, but not conceived the same way. But born. The Word cried when he was hungry. I think the Word sat still in church, though. I don't know, but but it's that real, right? Uh, he, 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 he learned how to tie his shoes, or they tied shoes. Really, he, he was potty trained, and I'll just stop there. But that's that, it's true. He was fed. I don't know if they had those squeezable apple sauces back then or not, but he was fed real food. When he couldn't let his fork to his to, to his or his hand to his to his mouth. I, Different culture. I'm just making this in ours. But this is real. The Word. The Word of God. The one in the beginning. The Word was made flesh. Here's the next phrase. And dwelt among us. Well, oh, we know that. We can run past that. Let's not run past that so fast. He dwelt among us. What does that mean? He dwelt among us. Let's just stop there for a little while. We might even stop there for the rest of the time. He dwelt among us. This is the word tabernacled. He he, he tabernacled among us. Literally, this word means, and by the way, this word is only used by John. There's other words for tabernacle, but this word is only used by John here in, in Revelation. But he dwelt among us means that he, this is glorious. If you're a sinner today, listen to these words. The Word of God, the Creator of the ends of the earth, he pitched his tent. He pitched his tent. With you. And by the way, the way, let me just flip to Revelation 21 for a moment. Listen to what this means. We think tabernacle, we think temporary, but this is really not a temporary idea. It is temporary in our flesh now, but this is not a temporary idea. This is the idea of pitching his tent and staying there. So how long will this tabernacling occur? Well, this is Revelation 21 in the new heavens and the new earth. Verse 3, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God and wipe away tears from their eyes. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All the former things passed away, all things made new. So the idea is that he is pitching his tent to stay. He has come to stay with you. With you in sickness, with you in sorrow, with you in sin, with you in rebellion, with you in death with you, working faith in you. He's pitched His tent. He's not going to leave you. It's a permanent stay. Entered to go, no more out. So what this is really referring to is referring to really two thoughts that are pulled out of the Old Testament. The first one, and I'll just list them not in order, but just kind of an, an idea. The first one is, when says he says He dwelt among us or He pitched His tent with us, it's pointing us, pointing our minds back to what the Jews had to uh, observe every year by decree of God called the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. And I won't go through the whole feast, but it was a a yearly uh, festival. In fact, probably Jesus was born around the Feast of Tabernacles. We know December 25th is not the date that Jesus was born, right? So he was probably born around the Feast of Tabernacles. It was this annual festival. I think it's an eight-day festival. And it's also called the, the Feast of Booths. B-O-O-T-H-S. Not booths, but booths. The Feast of Tabernacle, the Feast of Booths. And what they would do is they would all have to go and they would all sort of create these temporary structures and they would all live in these booths during this period of time and there was joy and there were feasts and there were offerings and there was food and there was a huge gathering. It was a massive gathering of people, but it was all to remind them <clears throat> if to live Developed into two things. Remind them of their stay in Egypt. And then later, to remind them of their wilderness journeys. Remember those two things? They came down to Egypt because there was the need for food. They were starving. And Joseph had been raised by God to provide for his people. Joseph is a beautiful type of Christ. And they are brought down to Egypt, but Egypt is not home. Egypt was never meant to be home. Egypt was a temporary place, but Egypt got worse, right? Egypt became not the place of food, of bread. Remember, Bethlehem was the house of bread. Egypt was not the house of bread. Egypt provided them bread for a short time. But Egypt quickly became the place of their bondage. So here they are, far from home, far from home, far from their permanent homes, Far from their comfort, far from the land that they knew and the land that they loved and the land of promise, far removed. Is that how you feel today a little bit? Far removed. And they're crying out to God. And is God hearing? And God hears those cries and he comes to be with them in the person of Moses, a mediator. Who will, pull, who will pull them out of this temporary land of Egypt and will bring them in, across the the, 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 uh, the water and bring them to a place of safety. And then they complain. <laughs> and then they're in the wilderness. And they're in these wilderness journeys and these temporary houses. And you remember, that. can you imagine? Moms, can you imagine? I, I've been helping Noah move, it like it's been about two months now We've been, we've been pulling that trailer around that's not fun. Can you imagine doing that every couple of weeks? The pillar's moving. we got to move. Go so get your pillars. <laughs> Can you imagine? And, and, and it's this move towards nothing. And yet God is providing for them. And He's feeding them. And ultimately it is a move towards Canaan. In the wilderness, by their own sinfulness. In the wilderness, by their own complaint. It's all their fault. They deserve it. And here they are in the wilderness. And here's what the Bible says. That God, the Creator God, saw us in the wilderness. God saw us in Egypt. And we were in Egypt because we belonged in Egypt. We ran to Egypt for help. God sent his son to come pitch his tent with us in our wilderness journeys to never leave us until we arrive in Canaan. Isn't that unspeakable? God, the word dwelt. He pitched his tent with Him. It's not that he just came to be. <laughs> Some people just come to just, just to hover and that's not always pleasant, is it? That's not what he's saying here. The other idea, of course, is the tabernacle itself that was in the wilderness. You remember the tabernacle? It was, um, it was a place that was not very pretty on the outside. And it didn't smell very good. But on the inside, it had this thing called the mercy seat. It sat on the Ark of the Covenant. And the Holy of Holies. And everything about that reminded the people that they had sinned so bad against this Holy God. And He was very, very, very holy. Yet there's this mercy seat that sits on top. And the cherubims are facing one another in praise. And you know what happened? Exodus 24, Exodus 40. The glory of God comes and pitches on the tabernacle, on the mercy seat, in the Holy of Holies. And it's so thick that they can't even go into the tabernacle. So God doesn't just send a little bit of glory for our help. God doesn't just send a little bit of glory to come and be with us. God sends us full. A of glory. And that was a tabernacle, and yet they still could not enter because it was only a symbol of just how holy that God is, how much we needed him, and how we needed some sacrifice to expiate his wrath and to propitiate his ra- to expiate our sin and propitiate his wrath and to, to come and dwell with men. And what this says, though, is, let's, let's keep reading, the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us And we beheld His glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father. Listen to these next words. Full of grace and truth. So put this together. Not removed from the Holy of Holies, but behold. Together we're seeing. In the person of Jesus, we get to touch and feel and embrace and have a full view and gaze and delight in entering in to the full glory of God. And here's the truth about the full glory of God in the person of Jesus. The glory is seen and that He is filled with grace. Filled with grace. This is for our humanity, isn't it? This is his compassion. You see, he comes. The glory of God is that he comes to earth, tabernacling with men, and he comes just armed. He just got buckets and buckets and I don't know how you say that. He's just he's got this full. You, some of you more magic people can, can do a better picture than I can, but he's just his arms are just, just just bearing, and he's not straining, but he's filled with grace. You know what that grace looks like? The Bible tells us the grace looks like pardon. Pardon for guilty rebels. The grace looks like him coming and meeting the woman at the well and saying, You don't just have one, one husband, you've got seven husbands, and they're all they're, they're, they're the one you're with right now, that's your husband. And yet, I've got living water for you. I've got living water for you. You'll live. Pardon. It looks like justification. That we're just before a holy God. That we can come into the Holy of Holies. That's what it looks like. That through Jesus, the one who's been made flesh, we walk unimpeded into the Holy of Holies and we live. There's no need to tie a rope with a bell to the back of our foot as a high priest would have when he walked into the Holy of Holies. Don't need that because, you know, that would happen because if he died there, nobody could go in. They would die. So you have to just pull him out by, pull him out by his leg. No need for that. You can unimpeded walk into the holy of holies and live and receive love and receive, receive. Behold, I and the children which you've given me, and come, you blessed my father into my presence. Enter into your rest. It looks like reconciliation. We're sinners. <laughs> are now friends. Jesus says, "You are my friends if you do what I, if you do what, what what I say." He's filled with grace for our humanity, but friends, he also is the God Man. He is filled with truth, grace, and truth. We see the glory of God. It would not be any real glory if he just came in as this 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 uh, flattering, babbling. Uh, bleeding heart who just says let me just wipe your tears away don't worry about that friend just keep on eating ice cream until you die it'll be okay that's not who Jesus is Jesus is filled with truth he's a righteous God the same one who forgives the same one who forgives the one with the will he comes into the temple and he scourges the temple he looks at Jerusalem and he weeps because the the, the, the the scribes and the Pharisees had hidden and lied and hidden the law as it was meant to be from the people. Jesus is filled with truth. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. Because we're sinners so Jesus comes to rule the rod of iron this is why God uh, this is why the father delights in him your scepter is a right scepter you love righteousness you hate iniquity therefore God has anointed you above your fellows Jesus comes to rule over sin Friend, Jesus came to redeem you, yes, from the curse. Jesus comes to redeem you for your, from your sin and your sinfulness. He comes to rule. Aren't you thankful that there is now the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus? who is ruling in our hearts to cause us to hate sin and to repent of our sins and to run from sin and to acknowledge His rule and His reign and His goodness and His righteousness and to say, we are followers of the King of righteousness in this world of of all-encompassing wickedness. When good is being called evil and evil is being called good, there is something in your mind and something in your heart that says, no, this is not right. We will not go the way of the world. We will not go the way of, 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 the, of the modern uh, wisdom. We will not go that way because Jesus is the King and Jesus is righteous and Jesus has ruled over my sin and Jesus speaks truth. He's filled with truth. Praise the Lord. And so from this fullness, he says, from this fullness of glory, this fullness of grace and this fullness of truth, from this fullness, he didn't just walk around just parading his fullness and just say, "Look at me, how kind I am, and look at me and how holy I am of his fullness we have received." And so that grace that he comes bearing is just billowing over us and covering us and providing for us of his fullness have we received in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Listen to verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son. <coughs> the only begotten just means the one and only Son. There are many sons of God, Romans 8, but there's only one who's been called, you are my Son. You are my one and only the only begotten Son, and listen to this, which is in the bosom of the Father. Now, notice that phrase. The only begotten Son is in the bosom of the Father. That's a wonderful Trinitarian phrase. It means that He's right there as close as can be. And yet He's distinguished, right? He's in the bosom, but He's not the bosom. He's in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. Let's go back to the first two verses. If Jesus is not God, the rest of this is blasphemous. Here's the blasphemous part. The blasphemous part is that Jesus said, I am filled with grace and truth. All that's about pardon and reconciliation that you were just rejoicing in, throw it out the window. Unless Jesus is the word of God made flesh if he is listen to me if Jesus is the word of God made flesh friend you can come and find rest for your soul right now in the one who is the pardon and the redemption and the justification and the reconciliation and the resurrection and the life so we can go to this funeral that is heartbreaking and say but Jesus but Jesus Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. We'll try to look at this again next time. May God bless you is my prayer.